Good morning. We have a passage of scripture before us that details um, in mostly a vision that I had, which is what precipitated the study. Um, this month, earlier this month, I was in prayer and I had this vision where I had a couple of visions. They both kind of had a similar theme, but we're going to focus on the second vision where I was, I saw myself walking in um, a really thick, miry substance, and it was like up to my thighs. And uh, the curious thing about the beginning of that vision is that, you know, the prayer time itself was very lively. It wasn't like I was stuck in the mire myself. It wasn't like I didn't feel like I was going someplace. I wasn't struggling to enter in. So sometimes you have visual capacities that, that relate to something you are experiencing and you feel that experience. But this wasn't. I was, I felt like the spirit was really active. Uh, the presence of the Lord was there. And um, I was already praying in diverse tongues when this occurred. But when I was in this vision, it, you know, I was obviously praying, but I could see myself, you know, really trying to go forward and having a difficult time because I was just stuck in this mire that was up to my thigh. And I thought, you know, my first thought was, well, it's covering my knees. You know, that's your point of grace is that knee movement, right, to go, to go upward. But secondly, um, it's, this lasted for a good portion of the prayer time. I mean, it went on and on and on. And I just continued to pray in diverse tongues and to um, kind of mentally declare things because I, I was praying in tongues. So in my mind, I was saying, you know, you know deliver side this Mary Clay, you know, just different things like that. But Eventually, toward the end of prayer time, I just lifted up my hand, and really, I was doing it to praise. But when I did, the Father grabbed my hand and just pulled me right out of that clay. It was really amazing. And I didn't realize that I was feeling the heaviness of that clay until he pulled me out. It was so weird. And so then when I was up, I didn't see myself on a rock like this, this scripture denotes, but um, this scripture did come to mind just because of the the things that I was encountering, and I'm familiar with the scripture, and um, I began to sing in tongues. I mean, I did all this, but not really knowing all of the, the Psalm 40 verses 1 through 3 details. I was just really more focused on the fact that I was in the pit. The Father brought me out of it. But anyway, as it may, I looked the scripture up, and all the things kind of really just kind of happened with that scripture. So I, I felt it would be prudent for me to study the scripture out. And when I did, I did find some interesting things um, that we're going to talk about. And it really also uh, came across to me as a warfare progression. Um, yes, um, can we be finding ourselves in something that keeps us from going forward? Yes, there's a lot of ways you can look at, uh, look at this. But the, the Hebrew words really are going to point to some uh, warfare that um, had to do with this passage and then how the Lord is going to bring us out of that and the way in 
you know, the things that are going to occur around it. So we're going to hit this running because there's a lot of really cool things in here. Some things I'm going to gloss over and not spend a whole lot of time talking about, even though I may have given you the Hebrew word just so that you know um, for, your, for yourself what we're looking at. But let's start with um, reading passage uh, Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, and out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. So let's begin with that first phrase. I think this is a really well-worn passage. I think we've probably been taught on it many times from, from different perspectives. But probably most notably this first line, being in a position of waiting upon the Lord. Um, in this passage, waited and patiently are both kawa. So it is a double issuance of this word that means to wait for, to look for, to hope for. It is a root meaning that um, is about a twisting, a strand of rope, in order to bind it together, to strengthen the cord. So when you're waiting upon Yahweh, you're really intertwining with him, his plan, and that is aligning you and strengthening you. Um, let's look at Psalm 25, verse 5, because we're going to look at a few verses um, on a lot of these words to give a rounder picture of, of the things we're going to be discussing. So Psalm 25, 5 says, Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, and on thee do I wait all the day. So that word wait is that kawa word. And that, again, is that intertwining with, um, with God. I love this word lead. It is, it's really unique in that this root word, derek, means to tread upon, to bend the bow, and is most, most often used to depict preparing for or being led into war. And I, I think I've looked at... This thing on my britches is making my britches fall down. And so I'm sorry. <laughs> Literally tripping on my, on my britches. Um, so pardon, pardon what I have to do to keep my britches on. Um, and for all you out there in live stream land, you can just endure me talking about it. Um, anyway, so, so we have the word Derek that, this word comes from Derek, we know, just means to walk. And Derek, they're little derivatives of each other. Um, mean, I mean, Derek is the path, and Derek is the verb to tread upon that path. But when you look at this, it is mostly used to be stepping on something and trotting. You're, yes, there are times when it just says going forward, you're just walking along. Da -da 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 -da. But mostly, it's called about tram, you know, tram the enemy. That is what it's discussing. Or you bend the bow to prepare for war. So in each instance, this walking that we're being led to do is for dominion. And it's leading us into a met, the fulfillment of 
the truth, the fulfillment of those things that God is going to be showing us. And I really love that. Instructing us. This, these are the things that are happening because we are waiting upon the Lord. Psalm 37, 34, wait upon Yahweh, keep his way. He shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you're going to see it. I like this passage because, you know, there are, what, 50? I don't know how many there were of, of this word. So I just chose a few, right? And I chose the ones that I liked. So these are them. But I like this because keep his way is Shamar Derek. So it means that you're surrounding, you're protecting, you're hedging about the path that is divine, that God has got you on. Because his path is the path that we're supposed to be on. And this, again, is happening because we're waiting upon the Lord and spending time with him and being intertwined in his plan. Isaiah 40, 31, but, and this is talk about a, a passage that's been uh, tread upon many times. We have Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And um, the word strength in this passage being renewed is the koa. And I wanted to give you a definition of that because this is a really key understanding for intercessors, people who are waiting upon the Lord. It means the capacity to endure, to cope with situations and have spiritual adaptability. It's talking about someone who experiences things and then walks away as an expert in the things that you've been experiencing. It's also talking about the, the attributes of a prophet because they have to take overall insights and then deduce the actual word of the Lord. We're going to be able to adapt and thrive, but we'll also be continually in need of this replenishment that God gives us when we are spending time with him. When we wait upon him, that co-op, that ability to endure, is renewed again and again. I think that is so key for us as we try to train others in what we've been doing for so many years and understand that that's just how we're making it. We're making it because we're praying, because our co-op is being renewed every time that we are together and being intertwined with the plan of God. So it prepares us always for the next phase of partnership. So that is the section I waited patiently for the Lord. And since it's a double issuance, we know that that is uh, for those that are intimate with the Lord, that really have that point of sonship and intimacy with him. He's speaking to those who are seeking him. So we're waiting patiently for the Lord, and that really speaks to me of being, in, uh, uh, being one with his plan. And being one with his plan talks about being in agreement with his plan. I think that's where most people really get hung up, because his plan actually involves things that aren't pleasant. And, you know, we, we usually try to get out of those things or we just bind the enemy because we think the enemy is just trying to stop us or the enemy is doing this or that. And really, it's just part of God's plan to get you 
You have to go through that to get where you're going and to be developed in a way that you're ready to be used once you get there. So his plan is so key to be in agreement with that. And I think the only way, and here's the thing, you, we all know because we've been faithful to pray all these years, we know that you still have a challenge with this plan, even though you've been spending time with him. It doesn't mean you won't have any challenges. It means you're going to be able to overcome the challenges. Because when, when you're facing it and you don't want to do it, you don't like it, you think it's wrong, it's unfair, or it's too scary, or, you know, you know you, all the things that we deduce about the thing that we're going through, once we're faced with that, the waiting patiently is the only way we're going to humble ourselves to accept what that path is, what it looks like. So again, this first section is really important. This first, um, it's like a foundational relationship that sets the stage for the warfare that is to come. So as we wait patiently for the Lord, he's going to incline unto us. And this is our our next section, mata. And it means to stretch out or to extend, to pay attention. Um, it is most often used to depict stretching out your arm or your hand. It talks about, you know, laying out a tent, you know, really mundane things, right? But it also talks about deliverance. Or, like in this case, God actually inclining toward us. And we see a repetition of that um, theme in Genesis 39, 21, when it says that Yahweh was with Joseph. Where was Joseph? He was either in the pit or in prison, or he was, you know, he had 15 or so years of really bad accepting the plan of God. <laughs> That's a long time to be someplace that unpleasant and not to really understand after you've had these dreams to figure out, you know, how are those dreams going to come to pass? I'm in this prison. Well, I guess that's not going to happen. I mean, do you... Did he keep the faith? Did he really think that the dream was going to come to pass? I know he couldn't envision a way that it would, even if he believed it. So you know the struggle. It's not like we haven't been doing this 28 years. We had not been 28 years in prison, but we have felt like we're not getting anywhere. We're not, you know, we're, well, I don't want to put it that way. I we've always accepted the seasons that we're in. But you still can't envision how it's going to turn out. You can't envision how God's going to do something, right, until he starts doing it. So here we are with Joseph, and we know that it said the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him mercy. So he inclined himself in that way of mercy. That's commune, right? Commune. My gosh, Scott, listening to me. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So everywhere that Joseph went, he had that point of mercy and that grace that was with him as he endured those many years of um, imprisonment. Exodus 6.6, 6, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. So I just wanted to depict that example, how God stretches out his arm to bring deliverance. And that is 
uh, the capacity that we are going to be experiencing in this passage, because when he implanted himself unto David, it was for the purpose of bringing him out of the pit. So this was the first step. Exodus 14.21, we're going to be given the capacity to stretch out our arm in, in uh, bringing, in partnership with God, deliverance. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Joshua 24.23, Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, Incline your heart unto God, and that is our, that's on us to incline ourselves toward him. He does incline himself toward us when we cry out to him, but our hearts are to be inclined, inclined toward him. Stretched out, as it were, extended, and, and paying attention to what he's doing. Proverbs 2, 2, so that you will hearken with your to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. So we, the understanding itself is because a person has turned themselves toward that end. You know, I think we hear people sometimes who don't understand, and I and I'm not saying that it's always this way, but I think the ones who don't hear are the ones who aren't inclining themselves to hear. We, in the past, I remember we would say that, you know, the only reason why you hear something is so you can think of an argument against it. It's not because you're hearing it to learn it. There is a difference in how you hear something. So this is um, the way that um, Yahweh is inclining himself unto David in his psalm. Then God heard his cry. We know that word Shema, don't we? And then it says, he brought me up. That's the word Allah. So the last time I taught, it was about our offering, which was that word Allah. And we were really highlighting how God was bringing us up. And part of, the, <laughs> part of that had to do with our, our offering and how it was not going to be for free. It was going to cost us something. And that was, it was really a requirement of grace, if you'll remember. But we're going to be talking about going up in several passages in this teaching. So that theme continues. God is always trying to bring us up into either a point of deliverance, just a higher place in him, a higher place of walking. So I did not reteach that because I taught that where it was a couple of months ago about the word Allah. So let's move to bringing us up out of a horrible pit. This is the first interesting thing that I found in this passage. By interesting, I mean something that I hadn't seen before. The word horrible is not just bad. It means an uproar, destruction, a crash. It means to lay something waste, to desolate. So every time this is used, it is something being destroyed very loudly. How does that work in a pit? Don't you think when you're in a pit, you'd probably be alone and be really deathly silent? 
This is the only time that this is used. There were under 20 passages, so it wasn't used a lot. But this is the only time it's used to describe something like this. Every other time, it's called a rushing, a crash, you know, all up, uproar. I mean, it was all these really, you know, descriptive terms to describe something really loud. But it means to destroy something. So even when you, or, ah, yes, I mean, if it means to desolate, to lay waste, and that's the primary definition, right? So every time this is used, that's what we're talking about. So in a horrible pit, this is a warfare term. This is something that is being encountered by David. He's describing it as a pit because that's like a well or a cistern. It is a place that you can't escape from. Maybe that's why it's described that way. But it's an onslaught. And David feels like his life is in danger by this point of destruction. So Psalm 74:23, forget not the voice of thine enemies. The tumult of those that rise up against thee increases continually. So again, the destruction of those that rise up against you. This is, and it's interesting because I know in the Old Testament there was a lot of warfare, physical warfare that the Israelites um, were involved in throughout their history, and even to today. Um, but you know what I'm saying. We, David's describing real-time things that he endured. Real enemies that were really trying to kill him, you know. These were real things that David experienced. But if we, we relate that to what we're going to experience spiritually in the end days, I do think that it is predominantly going to be spiritual in nature, but if you read Revelation, there is going to be some, you know, physical battles as well. Real warfare. Okay, we're not seeing it here, you know, in Dallas, Texas. So it's hard to imagine. And, I, and we really, except for, you know, our own civil wars, we, we really don't have any experience with that here. Okay, we don't understand. We got a little experience, you know, being in the Navy and whatnot. And, but you know what I'm saying. We're not running for our lives. We're not hiding in our houses. We're not, you know, storing up food. We're not whatever. But I do think that the days to come are going to bring some tumultuous things that we're going to have to endure. Isaiah 5.14, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he that rejoices, rejoiceth, will descend into it. And this is talking about, you know, folks that aren't being good. You know what I'm saying? That's what he's talking about. So the people that are going about in their own glory and they're gathering in the multitudes and they're, they're, they're causing this loud point of destruction, and they're rejoicing in that. I mean, does that even sound? I think, we're here, I think we can even say that now that we're seeing this type of gathering and um, that mentality because... When, we, when we've watched like the rioting that happened after 2020, that to me was like a very cameo, small picture 
of how people gather against something and they're being they're they're creating a tumult of destruction. And I mean they really are glorying in what they're doing. It is it's so demonic to watch. You can see that they're not in the right mind almost. They're crazed in their, you know, their actions and, and their intent. Isaiah 13, 3 through 4, I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for mine anger, even them that rejoice in my highness. The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like as of a great people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together, the Lord of hosts mustereth the host of the battle. So this is discussing those who are partnering in restoration, the mighty ones, uh, you have um, the mighty men, and you have, I can't remember what else this Gabor translated at, as. I did look this up, I just don't remember it. But there are two power words in the Old Testament that are used together. And this Gabor really talks about the, the mighty man or valiant, that's what it is. That they really are in it for the long haul. They're not just strong, they're not just able and you know, have the vision of what God wants to do. They're willing to go the, the, the entire distance. That's what this word Gabor means. But these are the warriors that God is going to be using in the end times. And he will command the host of the battle. He will oversee what is happening. And then this last verse, Hosea 10, verses 12 through 15. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, till he come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies because you trust in your way and in the multitude of the mighty men, of your mighty men. Therefore shall a tumult arise among your people, and all the fortresses shall be spoiled, as Shalman spoiled Betharbal in the day of battle. The mother was dashed in pieces upon her children, so shall Bethel do unto you because of your great wickedness. So here is Hosea the prophet speaking over the children of Israel who, you know, they were in and out of doing what was right and then falling back. So they were always in some point of transition in that respect. But in this particular patches, I, I really liked to see the clear distinction between those who are sowing themselves in righteousness and the destruction that is really going to come against those who aren't. And, and other, the other thing that I noticed in these passages is some, another principle that we're familiar with, and that is a remnant will be saved. A remnant will be the ones who take hold of the righteousness of God and take that stand. The nations will be destroyed. I mean, most of the people are going to see this point of judgment. And that is what is so crazy when you think about that. I, I think about how, I mean, just talking about the war that's been, you know, going on most recently, and we've talked about the 300 people that were killed and the women and children, I'm thinking, when I read the Old Testament and an entire, you know, all the ice were, were destroyed, women and children and cattle, I mean, every living thing, 
you know, when you talk about the millions that are going to be destroyed, we're just talking about two or three hundred. I mean, I don't know where the numbers are now. I'm just saying when it first came out, and I'm not saying it's not awful. I mean, don't get me wrong. And we look at people as innocent. Who is innocent in the eyes of God? I don't know. I don't know what God is trying to do in this situation, but you know that he's the one that is trying to do it. You can say it's the enemy all day long, but I'm sorry. God's got a plan, and this is part of it. So you have to look at it as part of his righteous plan. And it is hard to swallow because we're not used to people dying in those situations. You know, we're, we've been living in a civilized world. You know, we're civilized. This is not how we treat each other. <laughs> and we want these people to behave. But God has a plan, and we have to look at things through those eyes. Because it's not actually going to get better. It's actually going to get harder. And there will be death. I, I gave the definition of pit there for you, but it is what I described earlier. Then he also brought him out of the miry clay. This is the second really interesting um, section. Uh, miry is, it indicates, oh, let's look, mire. That's brilliant. It's talking about mud. We knew that. It describes mud or mire that is both slippery and sticky. It endangers your life if you're bogged down in it. It represents things in our life that can become that we can be caught in, or it can represent something the enemy has laid out for you, or even a circumstance that is happening to you. So the first one is decisions you've made, and you're caught up in the things that you've involved yourself in. The second one is something the enemy's has uh, designed for you to, to trip you up and to bog you down, which is there for you to overcome in the Lord's grace and power. But the third thing is that just the circumstances of life. You, had, you can make the decision. Stuff is just happening around you. The enemy didn't do it. I mean, it's just life itself. But these are the things that describe mire. Let's look at the only other time this word is used. It's only used twice. Psalm 69.2, I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am coming to deep waters where the flood is and they overflow me. So if you're in mire, it is really hard to stand. It says here there is no standing. So if you are caught up, in, and I think discernment is going to be real key here. We have to discern whether, is this something the enemy's doing? I just, you know, I've got to discern that. I've got to overcome it. You know. Or have I created the situation myself? Am I the one that has to stop this? Am I the one that has to keep myself from, you know, continue to invest myself? This thing is just slowing me down. It's, you know, it's absolutely keeping me from moving forward in grace. We need to be thinking about this when we feel that influence. But let's look at clay. Clay also is mire or mud. It's described a lot as being in the streets. So, but it also does say at the bottom of a cistern, but that's the description it gives in the definition. But when you look at the verses, it's talking about in the streets. But the other thing it's talking about is where Leviathan is. 
So that is interesting. Job 41.30, this is describing Leviathan. Sharp stones are under him, and he spreads sharp pointed things upon the mire. So Leviathan is now here, and he is a part of the scenario that David is describing. This is something that is being encountered in this, this passage. He brought me out of the horrible pit and out of the miry clay. These two scenarios. struck me about this part of this, this these passages is I guess the words that he uses um, because we know that clay is something that's formed and we know that we are under his hand to be formed and I think everything that we walk through and everything that he allows us to endure even when we find ourselves in this clay is to form us is to really to um, <clears throat> to fashion us, to fashion our character, to strengthen who we are. Because everything we walk through is to refine us mm -hmm. so that we can actually stand in a battle that our character is formed in. And I love that about God because he wastes nothing, no. absolutely nothing. And mm -hmm. if we will just surrender to that process of here I find myself in this miry clay, in this horrible pit. Lord, what are you doing in me? Because it's always about that so that we can be those mighty men that will endure to the end. Mm -hmm. So I love the usage of, of these words because God wastes nothing, not any situation. We waste them because we don't run. Mm -hmm. We don't surrender. We don't submit. We don't grow often because we're resisting it. Right. And we're in our pity party because it's horrible. So I, I love that. I do too. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can't. I mean, here's the thing: when you're when you're seeking the Lord, there's nothing that you're going through that He's not going to use to bring you into a point where you can serve Him better. I mean, we're trying to be changed into the likeness of Jesus, after all. I mean, that that is the point of the journey. But but I look at this passage and all of these horrible things. David is describing lead though to being promoted and those points of promotion do happen seasonally they don't just happen one time whoop I'm up on the rock alright I made it I'm up here and you know it's just for that season he's just establishing you for that next season so that you can do what he's asking you to do in that season so the refining as you said is uh, a critical part of our growth, and you know we have to submit to it. That's why I said at the very beginning, if you're not submitted to the plan, if you're not accepting the plan, that means you're not accepting the grace either to overcome in the difficult points of the plan. So, yeah, that's a very good point. You know, um, I. Looking at this passage in a new and and I'm trying to connect all these descriptives that he uses here. Um, 
the double issuance of Kawa, which we've spoken of in the past as, and this is true, that you, you intertwine strands to make a stronger rope, and it really speaks about relationship. However, <clears throat> this word was also used to describe two really important things that I think really <coughs> depict, um, and maybe this is why it's a double issuance, because it's both of these things. The first one is relationship with God. But the second, this word was used for people who were accumulating a reservoir of water or, or creating some kind of more um, established um, accumulation of water where ships could come into port. It was also used to describe when a fleet was being built where they were gathering different ships that would either come for warfare or for um, some kind of uh, um, some kind of commercial enterprise. And, um, and so David is in the mire, which is basically the bottom of a, you know, like if you walk out into the muck, Zach can tell you about this, where the sea was, whether it's sand or whatever, you're kind of slogging. And and um, and if you if you're in clay is drawn up from this place to be used on the streets or on the landing, which is where Leviathan was laid. So I'm wondering if if David is in this place waiting on the Lord and God is wanting to supply water. Maybe it's even extrapolate to a well um, water for to establish his goings to to he's there waiting on the Lord for the for the sound of many waters to come or for the gathering of ships or from from a strength of position so that what he's accumulated can be sent out commercially from that from that place but where he's waiting is not dry, but it's a place where water has been and where water should be. And when that influx begins to come, God lifts him up upon a rock so that he's been positioned to, you know, to go forth. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing now. We've been intertwining with the Lord and been building a reservoir of water meat and of things that need to be sent out. And now, just like in Brazil, we're seeing these people hungry, clamoring for it, and we're positioning ourselves to go out and to send the fleet out with the supply that we have. I don't know. It's just interesting to me to see if you, it's kind of like the Valley of Dry Bones, where you're there and you're waiting on the wind of the Lord to resurrect these people. Here, David is in this really unique place where he's in mire and where he's in clay and he's he's waiting for the Lord to, and, and again, you can look at this word it's to build a rope, yes but then you take point B and it's the, the gathering of a reservoir like if you, like if you dam up uh, like the Hoover Dam or whatever, and then you wait for the Colorado to come and 
I mean, that's, that's the idea. It is, it is a positional place so that the needs of the community or the nation can be supplied, or so that you can position yourself so that you can then access a fleet going forward to establish the goals. I don't know. I mean, all these things are true, and, and they're, they're right, but that business of the mire and that business of the clay really does speak of something that's waiting for the waters. And that's, that's what's used there. And I wonder if it's not also the, the wells, the eyes becoming a well, because it, it can be a mucky place where people can't move around, or it can be you standing there saying, water's coming here, water's coming here. It reminds me of uh, that, that goofy movie, George Washington Slept Here, which we made for Zach Walsh, and Percy Kilbride, Pa Kettle. He said, then he's trying to get him to, to dig a well, and, and he, he goes down, he goes down, he goes down, and he says, we're in the mire. And Jack Benny says, oh, great, let's all have a cup. And, and it's just perfect Jack Benny saying that. But you get down there, and your objective is to welcome water, but you're there at this mucky place, and you're just sinking down in. You're there, but the objective is water, more than enough water to supply. And I'm wondering whether that's not the role of the 70, the elders, the IN, where you, you're there, you're waiting lord but you know there's water coming and so again i mean i hadn't really seen this the double issuance of koan could be relationship with god then in the midst of this mire that the waters will come so much water that it'll supply and and you know you see the clay there which would then be used for the streets be used for um, so that slob coming up out of this water would be baked so that the carts could come down to unload. And Leviathan uses that as a staging point to watch over this place. I, I'm just, I don't know. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. There's, there's a, some picturesque language going on. I, I'm trying to put it together. but um, We know that Adam was not spoken into existence, he was fashioned. And so what was he fashioned from? And it was as if, you know, he took clay, for example, and began to fashion Adam. And when he completed the job, he breathed life into him. And anyway, there was Adam. <clears throat> and on a spiritual plane, we begin as nothing, without purpose, without function, without form. And when we give our hearts and souls to Christ, he brings us out of that state of muck, and he begins to fashion us spiritually. And he brings me out of my clay, and he takes some off here and adds some there and begins to fashion me. And at some point, he puts us on a rock to stay, spiritually. And he puts a song in our heart. And he is, we become a spiritual creation out of my replay, out of nothing with no purpose. 
trying to piece yeah. all of that together, but it seems like there's something like that going on here too. It's very interesting. Okay, what's my time frame? Okay. I'm going to move on from, I'm not going to hit Zechariah 10 4. And let's move on to um, the second half of verse 2, which is where he set my feet upon a rock. And if you'll look, that's a seal of rock. And, you know, I hadn't looked at these definitions in a while, and I had to refresh my memory <laughs> as to what that meant. And I, it's really powerful um, because it's talking about um, being prophetically led step by step. That's the reticulation, and that's just kind of what it is a picture of. Or as when Moses um, was to go into the land, and unfortunately he struck that seal rock. But God was wanting to give them the land piece by piece. They were, he was going to give them dominion in that way. We're going to focus um, our time on the word kum, which means to rise and take responsibility, to set up or establish, um, to go from a sitting or lying position to stand erect. Um, it describes the beginning and development of nations or the beginning of a process, the preparation to build. And it also indicates the durability of something and it being able to continue. So let's look at the verses that I highlighted here in Genesis 9, 8. God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, um, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. So with Noah, we know that God was preparing to destroy the earth through Noah, and he, he established this covenant with Noah that was beginning this process that Noah was then going to be responsible once that, I mean, think about not understanding the plan of God for 100 years. I mean, let's just, just do something like that for 100 years. So, yeah. Um, but then you have uh, Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. This is our positioning when we trust in the Lord, when we are waiting patiently. We are standing on behalf of His righteousness and His plan. We are risen. We're not going to trust in these things in this world. We're only going to trust in what God provides, and that is what we stand on. And that is this word, kum. He is putting us upon this rock, this rock where we're going to be led step by step to prophetically take the land piece by piece. This is why we're on that rock. And as Monica said, that's why we went through the things we did so that once we're established on this rock, we can go forward because we've been refined in that place. And we've overcome whatever warfare was there. Or we did, as Pastor said, and we welcomed that provision that's going to then enable us to um, have commerce in the thing that, God, that, that God's giving. But Psalm 24, 3, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? 
So you have to Allah before you can stand. You actually have to ascend. You have to go up before you can stand. Because God brought him up out of, the mire, out of the horrible pit. And that word Allah, it actually means to, um, to go up. It means to be taken up. I mean, there are different ways going up occurs in Scripture. And in this case, we are ascending. We are ascending the holy hill. And we're standing in that holy place. And again, standing in that holy place is a positioning of then going forward and in that point of partnership with the Lord. Psalm 41.10, But you, Yahweh, be merciful unto me and raise me up that I may requite them. Again, God bringing us up, raising us up. There are situations where it will be by his hand that we are delivered or brought up into a point of... um, dominion or establishment, however you want to describe it, because there are different circumstances, different ways. Psalm 119, 62, at midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. Let's look at this next part. I guess it's verse 3. Nope, it's the second part of this. Uh, verse 2, again, he established my goings. This just really reiterates what he just said. He used, they're different words because goings is asher, but they mean essentially the same thing. If the rock means being led step by step, and goings means steps. So he's going to come your steps, and then he's going to come your steps again. <laughs> That's what he's going to do. Another double issuance. This speaks of being prepared, oh, I already read that, I'm sorry, steps from Asher to advance, to go straight, to make progress. I think that is a great way to talk about going forward, making progress. (laughs) We're making progress, folks. But he is going to make that occur for us. He is the one who is the power behind and the source of our going forward and and advancing and making progress. Looking at Job 23, verse 11, my foot hath held his steps. So the steps that God has ordained. And we have a repeat of what, that should not be Shammah, I'm sorry, that's supposed to be Shamar. That was in the early hours of this morning that I added this little definition, but it's actually Derek Shamar. His way have I kept. We saw that. In um, Psalm 37 on the first page, that same theme of keeping his steps, shamaring the pathway, protecting the path. You know that it's our responsibility in partnership with him to protect the path that he's put you on? You are the one who's policing where your feet are going. He can put you on the path, but we're the one walking it. And it really is up to us. And we have this word nata again, that we do not decline from keeping that path. Uh, It's somewhere in here, the definition of nata. Maybe I haven't hit it yet. It may be, oh, he inclined. So the word inclined, nata, is the same um, 
word here being not declined. So we're not stretching ourselves out to other things. We are stretched out for the pathway that God has put before us. Psalm 17, 5. Hold up my goings. Hold up my steps in your path. That my footsteps, they don't slip. They don't waver. That's a prayer. Psalm 17, 11. They have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes to the earth. That's that same word, nata. They have spread out. They're, they're really laying in wait as a lion in our steps. So even when you have been established upon the rock and God is, is establishing your going and he's leading you prophetically in this way, the enemy is still there and he's still lying in wait to... Um, to see what he can do to, to get you to um, deviate from the path you're on. So we're compassed about in our steps even. Then he put a new song in my mouth. The word new is kadash. It means a fresh new thing. It's something that has not been before. However, it comes from a root word. Kadash. I mean, it may be said differently. I don't know it's spelled the same way. But it is the verb to repair or to restore. In Isaiah 42, 9, I brought you a few verses that discuss different things that are Kadash. Former things are come to pass. New things do I declare. So when God has completed something, he's always declaring something new. Something that hasn't been. Now, it's kind of like the, you know, the, the uh, circle. We have the circle that, that is proactive, creative, and, and the circle that goes counterclockwise, and it's restorative, right? So it's the same principle. Sing unto the Lord this Kadash song. It's a creative song, a creative song that partnerships with that creativity to bring about God's plan. And it's Tehillah, something that we have... Um, studied a lot and talked about a lot because it comes from the word halal. If you look at the bottom of your sheet, there's the definition there. Um, envisioning what God's going to do, and we boast about it. We creatively sing about what God's wanting to do. That's the praise that is discussed in this new song. And look at Isaiah 48.6. You have heard, you see all this, will you not declare it? I have showed you new things from this time, even hidden things, but you didn't know them. Do we want to be in that position? Where God is showing us new things, but we're not in the right place, in the right frame of mind, our heart isn't right, we're not inclined into him so that we don't see the new things that he's, he's showing, so that we can declare it, so that we can partner with what he's we're showing us. Lamentations 3.22 it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Who can talk about this and not bring up this verse about his new mercies? That is our lifeblood. That is how we exist. <laughs> right? Love it. Ezekiel 36, 25. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you will be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I'll take away their stony heart. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And I'm going to put my spirit within you. 
and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So I just declare that God will give us a new heart and a new spirit. I feel like that's already happened, but I don't know what kind of, you know, regeneration or what God does in, you know, in the overall. Does that happen on multiplications, meaning... Um, The, the heart itself, I mean, is it just replaced? Here's the heart. I, I'd be down for that, honestly, if he's willing to do that. But, or is it just a progressive things where he's always doing something new in your heart, always doing something new in your spirit? And it's, it's restorative. See, it's restorative, and, it's, and it continues. It's a thought. And then even praise unto Elohim. So this is the word that we just discussed. We're going to have a new song in our mouth. This is, again, this creative measure of singing the new song and envisioning through praise, I mean, envisioning what God is showing us and through praise, boasting about it and bringing that into being in that partnership of, um, you know, as we walk with him and we declare what he's going to do. But it also says, the thing about the halal, is that it's not just um, declaring the thing that God is showing, but it is making sure that you do everything in your power and what God asks you to do to see it come forth. Because if he's showing it to you, it's something you're going to be laboring with him in to see it come to pass. That's your partnership. It's not just saying... That's going to happen, but I'm going to get pizza now. No, we, that partnership is, is a covenant. It's something that we've said, we're doing this together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see this through until it happens. So, the last little section here, I didn't give you any verses for them. Many shall see this scenario. They're going to see how this new song and this praise is the result of these, um, this progression. And they're going to fear, or yare, or yare, I'm not really sure how to pronounce that, and trust in, and trust in the plan of God. And we know that ra'ah, we know what that means. We know what the fear of the Lord is. We've discussed that many times. So whenever you walk as an example as David did in the sonship role, the things you endure, the things that you walk through and you demonstrate for others, they're learning from that. They're going to see how you waited patiently. They're going to see how you overcame and went through hardships or how you were changed or you were refined in the process of facing those challenges. They're going to see how you were then promoted and you went forward based on what God was giving you to do. And then they're going to see your praise, which is what's ahead. So you're on that rock. He gives you that vision. And you begin to boast about it. And he's establishing that step-by-step fulfillment of that boast. And they're going to then, you know, turn from evil. They're going to... Um, walk in wisdom, they're going to, you know, everything that the fear of the Lord entails. And they're going to trust in the plan of God. So they're going to see that example. 
Anybody have any further comments about any, any point of the teaching that you want to bring up before I close in prayer? Did y'all all say everything you wanted to say then? Well, I thank you for your attention and I, I appreciate your comments very much. Father, I pray that um, you would uh, show us something, each of us something about this teaching that uh, is pertinent to our walk with you. I pray that you would open our capacities to move in the new that you are putting before us. I pray that you would um, give us courage to walk through the difficult situations that are ahead. I pray that our koa would not be lacking, but that we would you know, just continually have um, a passion to seek you and to be in your presence, that you would give us that grace to accept your plan and the things that you're asking of us. Well, I just pray that we would be the partners that you have raised us up to be, that we would not fail in this last hour but that we would remain strong in the thing that you're calling us to do. I just ask for a fresh sprinkling of the blood upon an evil conscience, those things from the past, anything that would keep us from going forward. Anything that we've got in our lives that is um, bogging us down, help us to see clearly the things we need to let go of and just give us that overcoming grace in our warfare, in the things we have to overcome to establish your righteousness and establish the commerce that you're, you're, you've designed for this hour. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.